God is so good. Amen. Praise the Lord. Good job, guys. Praise God. Well, get your Bibles out. I got something good I want to share with you tonight. Um, I uh, was having a conversation with the Lord this morning, and <clears throat> so you know we've been we've been going over this and going over this about. I mean, we're, we're to the point now to where you're either going to believe the Word of God or not. I mean, there's there's no way around it. It's either it's either you've got to look at it and say it's the truth that Jesus went to the cross and He died on the cross for our total redemption, total redemption from the curse. Sickness is not a part of our life as a Christian. We shouldn't be walking in sickness. We've got to look at this and say, if we can be forgiven of sin, we can be forgiven or, or be healed of sickness. Amen? And so it's got to get settled in your heart. And so um, a, a scripture I want to take off tonight on is um, over in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. So I want to start. And then I want to tie this in with what we talked about last week. Matthew 9.35, it says, And Jesus went about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Now notice that he was teaching, preaching, and then healing, okay? And he was moved with compassion for them. Now back up. When he saw the multitude... He was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. When he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now, you know, I've got a few old sheep left around my house. And it's so funny because winter comes, you know, I, I throw them some sheep cubes and so, you know, they really must like that. That must be like chocolate cake to them. And so in the evenings, if I don't get out there at a certain time, now they come and stand literally at the back door looking in the house like, what's up, you know, it's time, you know. And they just stand there and they won't leave. And uh, so I have to go out there, give them some more cubes, you know, and then they just, and it's so funny the way that they act because it's like, you know, uh, Jesus is always referring to us as sheep, and the way that they act in the deal that, you know, they know they're getting fed there, and they're going to come there, and they're going to wait, and where's the food, and come on, you know, and it's like, these, Jesus said he had compassion, and was moved with compassion for these people, because they weren't like that, they were scattered everywhere, they were just running here, and to and fro, and nobody was really getting nurtured, nobody was really getting fed, nobody was really getting taken care of, and he saw that, and he was moved with compassion, Okay. Another scripture I want you to see. Go to Matthew 14, 14. Matthew 14, 14. It says, and when, the, and when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was, again, it says, moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. Now, <clears throat> I've always said, and then this is not really a true statement. You know, it's like, like, if you, like if you know somebody and, and, and they heard something and then they're like, have a different take on it. And you're like, 
How did they get that out of what they heard, you know? I've always been that way with certain theologians and, you know, certain ministries and ministers because I'm like, how did you read the Bible and come up with this spirit that you're of? Because when I read the Bible, I fell in love with Jesus. And as I read through the, I saw compassion, I saw mercy, I saw grace, I, you know, with nobody teaching me. It was just like I read through it and I was like, oh my. And I remember just every morning telling my wife, why didn't anyone ever tell me this? And she said, she'd say, well, Robert, you know, you went to church and I'm sure these scriptures were read and, you know, you just didn't hear. And I said, I don't know. I just know this is the most amazing story I've ever heard of. the. And I just read it and with my, the eyes of my heart, just looking at it saying, man, look how good God is. But then there's other people read through the Bible and they pick out all the things and they try to twist it and turn it around how God's an angry God or God, you know, does this or that. And there's a lot of teaching that says that the only reason why Jesus ever did miracles was to show that he was the son of God. That was the whole point. He just did miracles to show I am the son of God. And that was all miracles are for. After he went off the face of the earth, then we're just basically left up on our own until we get to heaven. And that was it. And I, and, I, and I hear that doctrine, and when it goes in my ears, it just is like, that doesn't sound like my Jesus at all. When I read these scriptures, it say that he saw the people hurting, and he was moved with compassion for them. The point I'm trying to make here tonight, I talked last week about laying hands on people. I talked about the, the way that God had, had, had set up uh, for people to be healed was people to be laying hands on them. But it's got to be motivated from compassion. It cannot be motivated from, look at me, look what I did. can't be motivated from, oh, I am the you know, great and powerful laws. It has to be, come from a motivation of compassion, right? So let's just think back about all that we've learned. Originally, we talked about, about the, whole, the whole redemption and everything that Jesus did for us, paying for us to be healthy. Forgiven of sins is all in the same covenant. So all in the same atonement. We talked about that. Okay, so then, then you go and you look at the next step being, okay, now he's done this for us. Just think about this. Now it's settled in you. You know that in salvation is the forgiveness of sin and the redemption from the curse, healing. Okay? You know that in your heart. So Jesus has done it. So then it puts it over on you. Let's just, let's just take away. Let's just, think, let's just say you, you've never been exposed to anything, and you just are hearing this the first time. You don't have anything to unlearn. You've never prayed for a person in your life. You've never, never seen a prayer that you thought was unanswered. Nothing ever happened, right? Let's just say you're a fresh, new baby, just heard this knowledge. So I just told you, you got saved, and healing is a part of salvation. So you would have no reason to doubt. Are you following me? Because I showed you in the Scriptures as we've looked at enough Scriptures to know that. All right? And then we talked about faith being the catalyst of everything that Jesus did is going to take place. It's all going to come through us by faith, stepping out. On his word, his promise. Okay? So now you're 
you, you know, like I said, just think about this for just a moment as don't let your mind come up with anything and say, oh, but what? No, just no, 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 no. Because that's all a whole other message over there. We're talking about rooting out of those doubt and unbeliefs. Just say you're brand new now, you've said it, and you've seen it in the Word, and you see it for yourself. Wow, this is what Jesus has done for us. Okay? So then you see that the catalyst of everything is your faith. In other words, you believe it, so therefore you're going to step out and walk in it. If I said, look, David, uh, you said, well, Robert, listen, I did something wrong yesterday, and I shouldn't have, and, and I, I, what do I do? Well, I said, well, right here in the Word, it tells you, just repent, and He'll forgive you. Oh, okay, I just repent. How do you repent? Well, you know... Because I'm acting like you don't know nothing, right? And he's like, how do I repent? Well, you know, just open up your heart and tell the Lord you're sorry for what you did. Are you sorry for what you did? Oh, gosh, I just hated what I did. Made me feel so bad, grief. Felt sick on the inside when I did that. I shouldn't have acted like that. Shouldn't have said that. Okay, so his heart's right. His everything's right. So how do you, what do you, what do I need to do? Well, just tell Jesus. Well, what, just right here? Yeah, just right here. Just close your eyes and say, Father, I'm sorry. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Wash me and cleanse me in your blood. I'm forgiven. And so he does it, right? Then I would say to him, praise God. He heard your prayer. Because he says, when you pray to him, honestly, he's going to hear your prayer. So you're forgiven. So everything's okay between you and heaven. And it's, he said, well, I know, but I'm still sorry for what I did. I said, well, wait a minute. You didn't get it. You didn't, you didn't get the revelation here. Jesus forgave you. So, I mean, it's over. It's done. It's under the blood. Forgive yourself. Go on. Really, it's all I got to do. Yeah, just act like you didn't do it. He doesn't remember it, so why should you? Act like I didn't do it. Yeah, just act like you didn't do it. Just act like you said, just, just, just act like you didn't do it. Because you didn't do it, because it's all been washed under the blood. If you really repented, are y'all following me here? This sounds so childish. What I'm saying to you sounds so childish. But over the years, what we've done is, as Christians, we've taken that simple doctrine of the forgiveness of sins, repentance, and we've twisted it and turned it and said, well, it just couldn't be that easy. And then we took it and we twisted it around and said, well, you know, what did you, you just prayed this prayer, but, you know, well, did you really mean it in your heart? And I, you know, and then the devil comes in and he gets to saying, you know, you didn't really. So you see what I'm saying? We've taken the simple simplicity of the gospel and it's gotten so twisted by the devil wanting to get in there and mess things up that the person could walk away and not feel that they're forgiven, all right? So that whole scenario I just ran you through, what's the difference with sickness? If a person has done something wrong, they're, they're, they're expressing remorse. They're feeling remorse, guilt from sin. But then when the forgiveness of sin comes, the guilt is gone. Correct? Now, any of you that's ever committed a big whopper as a Christian, you know that when you repent, you know what's forgiven in heaven, but there's a little bit of a process that goes on on the inside of you of just saying, okay, well, you know, thank you, Lord, you forgave me, and I'm not ever going to make that mistake again. And there's a little bit of maybe a, a difference of, you know, you, you're a little more cautious, or you're a little, there's a little something, right? But should there be? The only reason why we're going through that little process is we're trying to kind of relate it all and get it all in our brain straight and trying to, you know, work it out in us so that we feel right. <clears throat> so let's just take the simplicity of, of healing. I gave you these last week. Five ways 
of appropriating healing. John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. So why do we go in there and try to, you know, qualify that? And why do we go in there and try to add to it and, 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 and think there has to be something? We have to jump through a hoop of fire or have to do something in order for that scripture to be true. It's all doubt and unbelief. I'm telling you, it's all religious teaching and doubt and unbelief that comes into us that, that steals the blessing of God. So let's take another person. <clears throat> let's, let's just say I'm a bad teacher. And so David comes to me and said, man, I did the whopper. And I said, well, well, okay, Dave, you know, that was really bad. You shouldn't have done that. You know, uh, the best thing is you have to go through penance. And you need to uh, basically get a whip, take your shirt off, flog yourself. You've got to suffer for what you did. And he's like, really? I said, yeah. You know, the more you beat yourself, the more you're going to show yourself forgiveness. And if he doesn't know any better, you know, he might accept that as an answer. And he said, well, I beat, I beat the tar out of myself, Robert. I said, well, okay, now you've done, showed yourself something, you're forgiven. Right? But that's not what the gospel teaches. That's not what Jesus said at all. But if a person learned that, then they're going to have to unlearn that. Say, so, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't just be, you just, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just, no, no. You got to go out and whoop yourself on the back. You can't just be forgiven, just ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness and be forgiven. You can't do that. You got to do some whooping. Are y'all with me? That's the thing that has to be unlearned. What we've got to do is unlearn some stuff because we don't take the gospel for face value because we've been taught wrong, preached wrong, looked at it wrong, some things we may have just assumed on our own, you know, that never were necessarily taught you. You just begin to assume that it was this way because that's the way it happened in your household. And that's how you saw your parents and that's how you saw your grandparents and that's how people around you and you just started assuming this is the way it should be. It's like I said, one of the things as a kid that always caught me, and, you know, I'm not trying to be ugly about a denomination or anything, but I, man, I went to a certain denomination with my grandparents all the time. And because uh, my parents, you know, I'd leave me there with them on Saturday night or something, Sunday morning, I'd go to church with them. So it was different than my church. And we'd go in there, and I just always noticed right off the bat that between Sunday school and church, everybody took a smoke break. I mean, that's what I called it. They went outside, and everybody got out. Some people had pipes. Some people had cigars. Some people had cigarettes. They, all the men seemed to gather around over on one side of the church, and everybody took smoke break. Everybody's smoking and talking and carrying on, whatever. And then they went into church. All right? And then as I grew up, then all of a sudden, smoking became a bad thing. And so then it was sinful to smoke. But, I mean, all those years before, they always had a smoke break. And so in my mind, as a kid, seeing that was like, when did the rules change? And I remember asking my grandparents that, when did the rules change? And they're like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you used to have smoke break, and then now you don't have smoke break. So did y'all just find this in the Bible that you weren't supposed to smoke? Or? And then so now it just came into being, and so therefore it's taboo, and before it was okay. One day you're sinning, the next, I mean, one day you're not sinning, the next day you're sinning. Are you following me? not condoning smoking because I believe it's bad for your health and everything, but I'm just saying as a sin, right? So 
The point is, a lot of time man gets involved and he starts putting his twist on stuff that it didn't necessarily come from the preacher and maybe not didn't even necessarily come from the Bible, but it's his twist because that's the way he interpreted it. And if a person's heart is a little twisted, they're going to get in a twisted interpretation. But everything Jesus did, he did from a heart of compassion and because he had seen the Father do it. Right? So we've looked over all this material. We've gone through this stuff. We've gone through the scriptures. There's no way you can refute that under the atonement of Christ and what he did on the cross for us, healing is included just like the forgiveness of sin is included. It's all in there. So what's the problem? Problem's us. The problem is us in appropriating what Jesus said. So he said, I want to set some things out for y'all. So let's just go back to Dave here. He don't know nothing. All right? He don't know nothing. Never been taught anything. So I said, well, David, this is what the scripture says. What Jesus, is, Jesus said this. He said this right out of his own mouth. He said that whatever you ask in his name, he'll do it. You mean anything I ask, he'll do it. That's what he said. He's going to do it so that his father can be glorified in the son. And if you ask anything in the name of Jesus, he'll do it. Really? Yeah. Anything you want. But then see, right off the bat, when I'm saying this, I can already tell you what's going through your minds. You say, well, you know, I mean, yes. But within a limit. You know what the limit is? It's called faith. The limit is called faith. If you don't have really have faith for it, you're not going to get it because that's, that's the way it works. It's through faith. So you can't just go to Jesus and say, anything you ask, he's going to give it to you. And other scriptures said, if you believe. So faith is the prerequisite for having in order to have the miracle happen. So the Lord says, I'll give you anything if you believe me. Ooh, I mean, I'm just I'm hearing y'all right now. It's like I can hear your, your minds chattering and saying, Oh, Pastor, my God. Are you? I mean, what about what about you know I'm just digging in your I'm digging in your gardens, what I'm doing. I'm fluffing your turf and you're like, wait, whoa, yeah, no way, man. I mean, you know. Okay, so then the second one. Uh, it says John 16:23. In that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say unto you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he'll give you. What are we going to do with these scriptures? I'm telling you, it's Jesus gave them to us because that's what he wants to happen. So that God gets glorified when your heart's right. Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say unto you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. So he gave us another way to see healing flowing or forgiveness flowing or whatever flowing. He gave us a way. And the only thing holding us back is we don't believe what he said because we've been taught wrong and we begin to add to it or take away. Fourth one, it says Mark 16, 17, 18. And these signs will follow those who believe. I just love this scripture. Because it's so simple. These signs will follow those who believe. So signs are not going to follow people who don't believe. So what's the catalyst? Faith. Yeah, we don't follow signs. Signs follows us. 
You see, but what I'm saying is how simple it is, but we twist it all up. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Laying hands on the sick. Okay? James 5, 14, 15. If anybody's among you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if they, he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You remember the scripture where Paul, in the book of Acts, I don't remember exactly what chapter it is at this moment, but uh, when he was preaching, and he said he saw the man, and he perceived that he had faith to be healed. In other words, you can look at a person and know if they're believing or not, if they're operating in faith or not. Just like you can look at a person and see if they're mad or not, right? Is there anybody here that you need to class on how to discern if a person is mad, unhappy, out of sorts? Does, do any of us need a class on that one? I mean, you know, you say, oh, wrong done, right? Well, what about perceiving that a person has faith? Usually the ones looking at the floor, you know, kicking the dirt, they don't usually have faith. But when, when you start looking at people and they're sitting on the edge of their seat and they're clinging to every word and they're saying, oh, oh, you, you look at them and say, oh, man, there's faith there. There's, they're, 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 they're locking hold of this. They're, they're grabbing hold of this. They're believing this. I had a person today uh, that through our PayPal account sent in $500 for the, the Kenya uh, land we're going to buy. No, we're from around here. Nowhere at all from around here. Heard the, listen to the, the uh, podcast. Heard that? Sent in $500. What hit me was is, golly, there's, <laughs> I hope they don't listen to this tape because this sounds really bad. But uh, there's somebody out there listens to me that really thinks I know what I'm talking about. That's what the first thing I thought about. <laughs> you know? They're probably sitting there and never seen me before thinking, wow. They were showed up here and said, who's a preacher? You know, where is he? But faith motivated them. Right? See what I'm saying? Faith motivated them. Didn't recognize the name, anything like that. Just somebody, faith motivated them. So you can see when somebody's motivated by faith. You can see when somebody's in fear. How come we are so sensitive to the things that are negative? You know when somebody's in fear. You know when somebody is scared, right? You know when somebody's mad. But what the Lord wants us to do is to be the kind of people that everywhere we go, we're just telling the world. Now, just listen to this simplest. Let's listen to this simple, simple thing here. Just tell them what you've learned. Tell them what you know, because you know it's the truth. Are you with me? You just tell them what you know because you know it's the truth. And then if they're motivated by faith, then the sky's the limit. In other words, it's not our job. It's not our job to heal people. But it's our job to preach the gospel and to then lay hands or to pray for a person. And maybe the reason why... We haven't seen miracles happening is because faith is not stirred in the hearts of people. Now listen to this. Let me just throw one out here. 
When I was a kid, there was a man in town, and his name was Tex. And he wore a great big old hat, big old huge, you know, 20-gallon Stetson, creased up the middle like the old cowboys did. And he had this old building in town and uh, had a rattlesnake in it, one of them. Always remember that. And supposedly he'd been bitten by a rattlesnake 21 times. Not the same rattlesnake, 21 different occasions. I was going to say, after a while, you get your hand out of the way, right? If he's bitched 21 times. And he didn't die. And he owned this pool hall. And my father told me as a little boy, because it's right across from the barbershop, that if you went over there and you had a wart on your hand, he'd rub your hand and that wart would go away. Okay? Now, I never did have a wart, so I never did go over there. But when he told me that, when I saw the guy, I was like, oh, that guy can rub your hand and warts go away. <laughs> cool. I had no reason to doubt it. My father told me. Are you following me? So it was, it was a given fact. My daddy told me. So I believed that if that man rubbed your hand and you had warts on it, it'd go away. I never tested it out, but I just believed it was true. Spent all my days growing up saying, there's a guy that you rubs your hand, warts go away. Because my father told me. You see, when you're motivated because you know your heavenly father has told you, it makes all the difference in the world. This morning I woke up, I was praying, and uh, man, I felt this, this something down on the inside of me, this kind of uneasy feeling. And I, I didn't hear anything. The Lord didn't say this. I had this impression that I needed to call Ivan and ask about the land in Kenya, that something was going on. And so I got a hold of him, we visited, and I said, hey, listen, is I said, uh, two more weeks, we're going to have all the money. Uh, but there's something, do we, need to, do we need to get some money transferred? Do we need to do something? Because I just felt uneasy about the property this morning. And so he said, well, let me get back to you. So in a minute, Bethany texted me and said, oh, my gosh, we do need to do something. A man came today, and he's trying to buy the property out from under us. Now, what's interesting about that is like, okay, my daddy told me something this morning. I knew it was true, even though that's a million miles away. I knew something was up because daddy said something. You see, folks, when your father tells you something, you know the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know the voice of Jesus. You know the voice of, of your heavenly father, and he speaks, so you just know it's true. You know what's right. You may not understand the, the twist and the turns and the ins and the outs, but if you know in your heart that it's right, well, then it's yours. Jesus said, I don't do ever do anything except what I've seen my father do. So then when he had compassion, he moved and he healed all that were sick and all that were diseased. That must be what he sees the father do. But the catalyst of the whole thing is, is anybody going to believe? And then are there going to be laborers sent out that preach the gospel? Are they only going to preach half of the gospel? You can be forgiven of your sins. You can, if you die, you'll go to heaven. Or the whole gospel. You can be forgiven of your sins. When you die, you'll go to heaven. But while you're here on earth, he'll take care of you. See, if God's not a God of compassion, then why did Israel walk around the desert? Here's a perfect example. Why did they go around the desert for 40 years 
and their shoes didn't wear out and their clothes didn't wear out. Why did they do why, why would God why would that miracle take place? Why would it be written in the Bible? If God wouldn't have got a compassion, and still, even though his people had done what was wrong, he wanted them blessed. The only time when Israel wasn't blessed was when they were rebellious. Right? Let me show you another scripture. Go over to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 12. Now, if you want some exciting reading, you need to read the book of Ezekiel. This dude, man, you talk about crazy, outlandish things that God asked him to do as a prophet. And this is one of them. I'm going to read a little bit here, but I, want, I just want you to see it. Uh, I mean, Ezekiel 12, 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but it does not see, and ears to hear, but it does not hear, for they are a rebellious house. Therefore, Son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity. Go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go out of the place into the captivity to another place in their sight. It may be that they will consider it though they are a rebellious house. It may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. It may be that they will consider. In other words, he wanted Ezekiel to do something in the natural because it might cause someone to believe. By day you shall bring out your belongings in their sight and go through the captivity, and at evening in their sight and those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight. Carry your belongings out through it. In their sight, you shall bear them on your shoulders. You shall carry them at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you cannot see the ground, for I have made you a sign for the house of Israel. So here's this prophet. They knew he was a prophet. They're all out. They've been carried away. They're already captives in Babylon. But he said, I'm going to show them that they're still captives. They're still captives in their heart because they're not believing me. I want to show them that they have eyes to see and ears to hear, but they're just not seeing and hearing me. So I want you to go like you're a captive. So here he comes out of his house every day. He's got his bag on like he's being taken. He goes over to the wall of the, that's around the house, and he digs through it like he's trying to get out of prison, scurrying to the wall when the opening's right over there. He digs through. Everybody's got to say, that guy's gone nuts. Look at him digging like a rat over there in the yard. So I did as I was commanded, and I brought out all my belongings by day, and going into captivity evening, I dug through the wall with my hands. I brought them out in twilight. I bore them on my shoulders in their sight. In the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel a rebellious house, and said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord, This burden concerning the prince of Jerusalem and all the house of Israel, all who are among them. Say, I'm a sign for you. As you've done, so shall it be done to them and it shall be carried away. When I was reading this, it jumped out to me right there where it says, he is saying to the people, I am a sign to you. So question being, as Christians, what sign are we betraying? What is our neon sign saying to the world? Right? Okay. Maybe people don't believe because Christians hadn't believed. So he goes on down here, and he, let's see, let me skip on down here a little bit. Let's go down to 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, eat your bread with quaking, and drink your water with trembling and anxiety. And thus says the Lord to the land, 
Thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, to the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread, so their land may be emptied and all those who are in it because of the violence of those who dwell in it. Then the cities and the inhabited ones shall be laid waste, and the land shall become desolate, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, what is this proverb that you people have about the land of Israel, which says, The days are prolonged, and every vision fails. So in other words, stopping there at 22, the people had gotten to a point where they actually made a proverb up saying, basically, God didn't do anything. God didn't heal. Am I right? They had a proverb saying, God's not going to move. God doesn't do that. God doesn't heal anymore. What I'm trying to show you here is it was never God's intention. It was where the rebellious house got them. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a rebellious house. I don't want to have eyes that I can't see and ears that I can't hear. I want to be a house that's pleasing to God. But am I right? Would y'all, would, would y'all not say that under the, with the majority of people outside this body right here and these believers, that if you start talking to them about healing, they're going to start kind of running backwards? Well, whose fault is that? It's because they've never been taught. Because they're full of doubt and unbelief. Because the enemy has overcome them and they're thinking. And God still loves that person. And God still wants that person healed because God still has compassion for that person, even in their ignorance. Just like Israel here, he's saying, Elijah, you've got to be a sign for these people because I really want them to turn. I don't want them to be a rebellious house. I want you to go be a sign for them. And I'm telling you, the Lord is saying to us, he wants us to be a sign for the world. But we can't be a sign for the world if we don't believe it. Okay? Here it goes. He says, the proverb was saying, I'm back in 23, well, 22. He said, the proverbs are, the days are prolonged and every vision fails. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest. And they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. No more shall there be any false visions or flattering divination with the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I speak, and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. For in the days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, look at the house of Israel is saying the vision that he sees is for many days from now and the prophecies are for a time far off. Therefore, says the Lord, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore, but the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord. The word there postponed in verse 28, it means it ain't going to be drawn out. It's not going to be drawn out. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. The apostle Paul speaking to Israel about being saved. Look at verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend to heaven? 
that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend from the abyss, which is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So in other words, Paul's saying the word of God is going to be performed, is here to be performed right now if you act in faith on it. Where we have to be so sure in our faith is, is that we're doing what God told us to do. We're doing what Jesus laid out in the gospel for us to do. And when we pray for the sick, in our, our, from our sight, we're doing everything on our part. We've preached the gospel. We've prayed for the sick. It's their job to get healed. If we've appropriated, but then this is what happens a lot of times. We pray like this, oh, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to heal Dave. And then inside your brain and your subconscious, you say, God, I hope it works. <laughs> or we're like this, feeling better? <laughs> <laughs> to where we're, we're talking ourselves out of any of what it was, could even be faith. I mean, it would be better to go and say, look, <clears throat> I don't really understand how this works, but, um, you know, I know Jesus paid for this, and uh, he just told me to lay hands. I don't know what's about my hand, you know, kind of dirty, but let me wipe it off a little bit, you know. But I just know that he told me to lay this on you. He said a hand, didn't say a foot, didn't say an elbow. He said, lay my hand on you, and if I pray in the name of Jesus, you'll be healed. So then you get through, you said, okay, you're healed, brother. Did it. Well, but, you know, Pastor, one time, uh, uh, whoop, whoop, what's going on? Doubt and unbelief cropping right up. Trying to steal it from you. Trying to take what you believed, what you were acting on, and say, yeah, Pastor, I understand what you're saying, but no buts. And what I'm, what my point is, it's always easier to believe God when you're seeing things happening. Okay? But when you know that your father told you, it doesn't really make any difference. If anybody had asked me, say, man, I got the worst case of warts. I said, go down there, that old man, let him rub hands on you. My daddy told me he rubbed his hand on you, man, warts go right away. Really? Yeah, go down there. I, that's what I told him. Feeling like I was helping the guy. Right? I mean, my friend was suffering. He had warts. Tell him to go down there because I've got an answer for his wart problem. And I just believe that when we as Christians begin to act on what the Word of God says with no doubts, but then all of a sudden God says, my days, they ain't prolonged. My Word's not going to be prolonged. I'm going to bring my Word about now. I'm going to make it happen now. As soon as somebody by faith speaks it out of their mouth. So isn't it funny, we're sitting around waiting for God to do something when he's like, I need you to move. I need you to move in faith. I need you to... But we're just being analytical about everything, trying to figure everything out. Well, how's this going to happen? What's it going to look like? What is this going to do? If we did that, you know. Where'd the dinosaurs come from? You know, I could care less. Be honest with you, I got enough issues in life trying to figure out where the dinosaurs come from. I don't care what they unearthed. 
don't make me a bit of difference. I'm just trying to live with the word that God told me, right? When my father told me about the guy rubbing his hand on words, I didn't ask him how it worked. I was just a kid. Daddy said they'd do it, and I said, oh, okay. I didn't ask. I didn't go to thinking about it. I didn't get all analytical thinking. Well, what's this? Got something in his sweat that's acid or got bit by the rattlesnake 21 times. And so he must have like some kind of super skin or something, you know, that gets on him or whatever. I didn't even think that as a kid. I, just, it, I took it as a cold, hard fact. Okay, so then let me ask you this one. Do you go to a doctor because you're well? You're not going to call a doctor and make an appointment, go in there and says, well, what's going on with you? I'm doing great. Never been better. Just won't come by. Thought I'd get an appointment, pay you for it. Right? Nobody's going to do that. You may have a friend that's a doctor you want to go see him, but you're not going to go make an appointment, pay him to see you as a sick patient. You go to the doctor because you believe that he has an answer to cure what ails you. Even that is faith. Even that is simple faith. Right? Then he gives you some antibiotics or whatever, and you, you take them. You still take them in faith. You don't say, I'm going to take this pill. It ain't going to do nothing for me. I'm going to go ahead and take it. No, you're still saying, well, you know. Why? Because you've seen it work in your life before, or you were sick once, you went to the doctor, you had a sinus infection, whatever, sore throat, he gave you some antibiotics, it worked. Then, isn't it funny how as we get older, then you start telling the doctor what he should give you. Because you had it once, and this worked, and I don't want that, because that didn't work, and I want this, right? So now we're basically self-diagnosing and self-prescribing. But we've kind of done that with Jesus. We're kind of saying, we're going to go, okay, Lord, I'll go lay hands on him, but then I want to see this, or I want to see that, or I want to see this, or I want to see that, or, you know, then we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. Or Years ago, I was down in Mexico, and we were deep down in Mexico, and I was with Sister Annie, and and uh, she said, we had a little, oh, church, it's a little bitty, man. Wasn't, wasn't wider than between the two columns, and just crammed full of people, and I was young and ministry and things. And so she said, Robert, I, tonight I really feel like there's, a, there's an anointing here for miracles. And so I'm like, okay, so this is what the anointing must feel like for miracles. Because, I mean, I, I didn't have, have no word that we were going to have miracles. So she said, so she asked the people, is anybody in there sick? And so this lady, she was young. I'd say she was young, probably, you know, in her 30s, early 30s, I think, mid-20s. And so she comes up, and I notice that she's walking with a big limp. And so she asks her what's wrong, and the lady says, well, you know, I've, my leg, uh, I've got a problem with my leg. She says, what's wrong with it? You know, and so she walks, she says, you know, it's short. Okay, so Sister Annie sits me down. The lady sits down, like, like, let's just say, this is where the lady was sitting like this. And I'm standing here, and Sister Annie's right here, and she says, no, no, come around over here, Robert. And so I want you to stand right here, and, and I want you to watch this. I'm like, okay, what am I watching? She said, just watch your legs. I said, oh, okay. So I'm just staring at this lady's legs, fixed on them. Sister Annie picks up both legs. One of them's that much shorter. She's holding on the legs, and I'm sitting there staring there looking at it, thinking, what in the world? You know, what's going to go on here? 
What, what, what could possibly, what, 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 you know, I've never seen this in church. Nobody that I've ever, church I've ever attended, they call somebody up and got them sitting in a chair holding their legs up, you know? So I'm just thinking, okay. And so she says, she says you watching? I said, oh, I'm looking, I am, I'm looking. And she just said, Jesus, and that's all she said. And I mean, like, within a blink of my eye, the legs are the same length. And I was like, did... You know, what did I see? I mean, it, it was so quick. It wasn't like it went, <laughs> right? I mean, that would have been even cooler if I just seen it inching out. <laughs> it was just like, here's a short leg, and I'm just watching, and as hard as I'm watching, just it was just so quick you couldn't even hardly see the leg move. And the girl gets up, starts rejoicing, jumping around, dancing, walks off, totally healed. Now... That was one of the first miracles I ever saw. And, and it, it was like mind-boggling. Like my mind is trying to, like you don't have that in your, it's not in your file. Right? So my head is automatically saying, how did that happen? And so Sister Andy just starts laughing at me because she can see me. I'm trying to figure this out, calculate this. What happened? Did the bone get longer? I didn't even see the muscle move. And I'm thinking, you know, it was that, that much shorter, so the muscle had to stretch. And, 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 and how did that all work? And, or did it just move in the knee? Or was it up in the hip? Or what happened? How did it get longer? Like, I wanted to get the lady, make her pull her, her, her pants up. I wanted to see, was the kneecaps the same? Or was one, you know, did... So, I mean, I was just... My mind was calculating all of this stuff. And she just looked at me. She said, stop trying to figure it out. She was sick. And now she's not. And I was like, all right. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, you say, well, did you see? There was no bright light. There was no yellow cloud. There was no anything happened. There was no smoke came up out of the ground. There was no nothing. Boom. All right? I don't know how to explain it. I've told you all this one before, but another one of the most amazing things I ever saw was a young man who was in a prayer line, and we're in this church. It was, man, it was just, I was oppressed in there, inside the church. They had worship. It was terrible. Everything was terrible. Uh, it was, we're all tired from meetings all day long. My feet hurt. I, I didn't have any faith. I, I didn't even really know why we were there. You could just tell everybody was kind of had this religious thing going on, and I was just kind of irked about the whole thing. Sister Annie says, Robert, come on. We're just going to pray for people. Help me minister to people. And there was just this young man standing there. And I thought, I'll just pray for him. And I walked up and I, and I just put my, I said, I, I just reached up to put my hand on him. And I was like, I was like, right. And then barely touched him. And that guy just, that guy just went backwards, just fell back. But I mean, like, like I would have punched him or if I could have kicked him as hard as I possibly could have, that kid could not have gone backwards faster. Nobody was there to catch him or anything. Crashed through the chairs, hit the ground. Sister Annie looked at me like, oh, my God, what did you do? <laughs> I was like, I barely touched him. Man, he flopped and flopped on the floor like a fish out of water. Man, he thrashed around. And I was like, holy cow, what have we got going on here? And so I'm talking to the Lord. I'm saying, Jesus, what do I do? Do I cast it out? Do I... You know, what is the thing going on here? I said, nah, I'm freaking out because I didn't do anything, you know, and it just... So, I mean, this carried on, I mean, to, oh, gosh, 15, 20 minutes. 
So finally, I'm embarrassed. And I'm definitely not going to touch anybody else. <laughs> so I moved over to the side of the church and was kind of hiding behind a column like, oh, my God. I came in watching this kid and, and just thinking, Lord, what is going on? What is going on? Lord, you know, this is spooky. It's, you're kind of freaking me out here, you know? And I was just... And so in a minute, they... They felt so bad for the kid, they drugged the kid up, and he's flopping and flashing around. They take him over there, and they set him down in a chair. Then he starts grabbing his throat like he can't breathe, and he's just grabbing all that. You know what I'm like, holy moly. And so I, I, I was like, so they're trying to cast the devil out of him. And I thought, well, it looks like good enough for me. You know, it looks like something, something demonic going on. And they're trying to cast it. And the Holy Spirit just, I mean, just spoke to me so gently. He says, he's not saved. Go over there and lead him through a sinner's prayer. I'm like, how am I going to do that? So I went over there and I told the guy, I said, hey, y'all stop for a minute. Because I mean, these are, they're going, they're by now that are all out, full fledged, holy water, Pentecostal spit, flying in my body, my body, you know what I mean? It's getting wild. And so I said, stop, 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 stop. I said, come over here. Somebody translate this for me. Right now, this sentiment, I know you can't talk, I know you can't say anything, but uh, you're not saved. And Jesus wants you saved, and if you want to be saved, just in your heart right there, pray this prayer with me. And I said, just pray it out, like I said, in the name of Jesus, you know. And I just went through a sinner's prayer with the guy. And at the end of that prayer, I said, amen. The kid jumps up, lifts up his hand, and starts prophesying. And I'm saying, I'm catching part of this, and I'm saying, give me the translation. He starts prophesying, Jesus is coming back, Jesus is coming back. He's coming back in a navideo, he's coming back in a navideo, which means a, a boat, a navideo full of gold, full of wealth, full of treasures, full of everything people need. He's coming back, Jesus is coming back. And so I was like, oh, man, glory to God, you know. So I go back over to my pillar and hide back there behind it. And, <laughs> and so everything settles down, and I said, can somebody talk to the kid, find out what happened. And so she said, well, the minute you touched him, he went out and he saw a vision. He saw a vision of hell. He saw hell open up. He saw everything in hell. Saw that he was going to hell. And it was that thrashing was him fearful of he was going into hell, falling into the pit. And that's what he was thought the thrashing was about. And then when you let him, went through the sinner's prayer and he confessed Jesus and got saved, well, then, you know, the Spirit of God hit him. He came into me. He felt the Spirit of God come into me, and then he just began to prophesy. I said, really? All that took place from just, I just touched the kid. And so we're getting ready to leave. He said, oh, yeah, and by the way, he's the pastor's son. And I'm like, what? How do you explain something like that? How can you figure it out? How can your mind you see what I'm saying? Here's a young man that's been in church. His father was preaching the gospel. I don't know why he didn't receive, but whatever, whatever, whatever. I mean, you could calculate this. You can put it in there. You can, but the bottom line is sometimes God's just God. And he's going to do what he's going to want to do, and he's going to do it however he wants to do it. And that's just the way it is. And you, there's no sense in us trying to figure it out. The same with there ain't no sense in us trying to figure out why God says anything you ask in my name, go lay hands on the sick and they'll get well, whatever. We're just supposed to be in faith doing it. We're not to question, we're not to see what's going to happen, we're not supposed to look for signs, we're not supposed to look for, I mean, flopping and flailing or whatever, we're just supposed to go do what the gospel tells us to do. Now, the first thing I would say, though, is you notice everything, Jesus preached the gospel and he taught. And I think some people need to be educated before anybody lays hands on them, <laughs> right? So wouldn't it be better to approach your sick friend by saying, I've been going to Wednesday night. 
And, and we've been learning all about this. God, and I've got this. I want to share this with you. Look what the Word of God says. Look what the Word of God says. Look what the Word of God says. Oh, look at this part right here. He says if, any, if we ask anything and, and believe, he'll do it. You see, now faith is being generated. It's a lot better approaching this going up and saying, man, the power of God is in my hand. It's easier the other way, right? It'd be easier just to go lay hands on everybody and they hit the floor and God does something. But I've laid hands on thousands of people and that's the only time I've ever seen that happen. So I want to encourage you tonight. Start out with, with any of your sick friends, start out with sharing the word with them what you've learned. Start out with, you know, um, Isaiah 53, whatever. Whatever the Father has said to you, because that's what you're going to believe. I can tell you all this, and I don't have any problem with it. You know, I'm not ever going to get into a bait with anybody on end-time eschatology and the rapture and tribulation, this and that and the other. I know what I believe, right? And I've preached around on it a little bit, but it's not one of my big deals. I'm not really worried about how it's going to end. I'm worried about dealing with today, tomorrow, right? Helping people right now, rescuing and feeding kids in Kenya and doing stuff in Guatemala and right here today. However the end comes, it ain't going to make no difference. I know where I'm going, so however it happens is going to be good for me. Right? So the point is, I, I'm not real, I don't spend a lot of time studying in that because I don't see the need. It's me, my opinion. Some people really love it. Anyway, point is, the things that we see around us going on with people hurting, people sick, where we've got to start with is sitting there and sharing what our fathers told us and what we see then it doesn't come from you. Then it doesn't come from the goofy church you go to or the goofy pastor you go to. It comes from the Word. And you can't refute the Word. And if the person wants to argue with this, well, you're pulling that out of text, I say, well, then, you know, brother, I pray that in your sickness you will find joy. Amen? So you're the hands. Everybody, y'all got, got them. At least one to go lay hands on the sick and then just believe what the word says is true. I'm believing that the day, I believe that when I read Ezekiel 12 today, I really believe that I was going over and going over and I said, I just really believe that's the word for us today. No longer is the word prolonged. No longer is the word prolonged. No longer are the visions prolonged. But now's the day. Amen? So look at the person beside you and say, today's the day. Amen. Well, Bill, help us tonight. So what I want to tell you all, and I want us to be saying the next couple of weeks, is that if you, if you want to give towards Kenya and buying the land, you need to get your offerings in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm going ahead and transferring money over there tomorrow to secure the land and get a down payment on it. And uh, we're really close. You know, when I say really close, we don't... You know, it depends on how you look at it. But we're, we're going to get it done in two weeks. So for the next two weeks, if you want to put any money in, 
directed towards that. Glory, put it in. Amen? And if you're not so moved to do it, glory to God. It's fine and dandy. We're going to rescue some kids over there, feed some kids, and then, you know, I got to thinking about it. We're going to immediately go from 1,000 to 5,000 kids a week. So then that's a lot more food. We've got to have a lot more beans and rice. That's going to be more expense and whatever. So, you know, plenty of place on down the road for God to use all of us to give. Amen? So anyway, put your hand on your offerings. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you are such an amazing God. I thank you that he's the most blessed people on the face of the earth. Lord, you have blessed us so. They are so blessed, Lord. I thank you you bless our businesses, you bless our finances. And God, everything that you do, we just praise you for it because you are El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. The one takes care of everything, Lord. And we just give you praise for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.